Welcome to the Pursuit of Authenticity podcast. In episode 19, I speak with Jenny Bushner, a naturopathic doctor. We go into detail about how she got started in her career and her passion for helping women show up for themselves so they can show up for others. All right, welcome to the podcast, Jenny. Hi, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Um, So I brought you on today because, let's see, I think we first met back at Forest Therapy, Mm -hmm. which was a class here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, And you just kind of started opening up about, during the class, what your background was, and we kind of resonated, sort of like-minded background, and so I was like, she would be a good podcast interviewee. And then I think you mentioned it to me, like, I don't know, in November of last year that you were interested in being on. So here we are. It came full circle. <laughs> it did. Uh, so for listeners, you are a naturopath. Did I say that correct? Yes. Okay. A naturopathic doctor is the technical term. <laughs> okay. So you are at, let's see, the name of your office, Michigan Center for Holistic Medicine, which is here in Grand Rapids, Michigan as well. Um, so tell me a little bit about how you got into your practice. I assume this is not only your profession, but this is your passion too, would you say? Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. So let's dive into that. What, what got you into that field? Well, that's kind of a long story. (laughs) Yeah. Let's Um, let's break it down. So, so I was always interested in healthcare. My mom was an ER nurse and had some really great stories. So I was really interested in healthcare, Um, always interested in helping people, but didn't really know how I wanted to put those two together. Um, Quite honestly, I had some beliefs that I wasn't smart enough to go to medical school and kind of pushed that aside. But my fourth year of undergrad at Saginaw Valley, somebody or a mentor of mine had mentioned, you know, have you ever heard of naturopathic medicine? Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the heck is that? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, well, that's a pretty standard response. But, um, you know, after looking into it and really looking at the principles, I just fell in love. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, this is where I belong. Yeah. Um, and I never felt that way before. So what was your area of study at Saginaw Valley when you were four years in? (laughs) (laughs) It was biology and chemistry. Okay, so Um, down the science path. Yes. I was kind of looking into genetic counseling or just some form of grad program for biology, but wasn't really feeling super passionate about it. Mm. Just kind of felt like something I should do. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, just kind of tying back into the lifelong love of healthcare and medicine, but I didn't... To be honest, I wasn't very thrilled with the idea of MD or DO school either. Okay. Um, just didn't really like the way that they were trained at that time. And mm. um, so that kind of led me down that path. And then my mentor recommended it and the rest is history. <laughs> so at the time when you were growing up and your mom was working in the ER, did she ever like come home with stories that are like kind of persuading you to go down the, you know, into becoming an MD or a DO, or was she like, you know, the decision is yours? My, neither of my parents really ever pressured me to 
you know, do anything. They were like, choose whatever makes you happy. Yeah. Uh, but my mom always did have some really impressive stories yeah. from the ER. And I remember um, one year I got a model, like a model of the human body for Christmas. <laughs> and I was so excited. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, got to put it all together. I had all the muscles, the veins and arteries and organs and stuff. And you How know, old were you? I was like eight. <laughs> That's funny. An eight-year-old, like, getting excited about that. Yeah. So at the time, like, in undergrad when it kind of came back to, like, well, you should maybe go to school for this, I was like, yeah, I guess I have always had, like, some of those passions. Just, again, didn't really think that I would succeed or, mm. you know, wouldn't really fit into that mold of MD or DO. So, yeah, I went an alternative route. <laughs> okay. Um, did you, let's see, when you were, like, looking more into the ND field, what was really, like, appealing to you about that direction? So, just looking up the principles of naturopathic medicine, the first one is similar to MDs and DOs. It's first do no harm. Um, there's also a principle about doctor as teacher, which I really, really liked because I value education over mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I hadn't had any experiences with doctors before educating me. And mm-hmm. so I thought that was huge. Um, treat the whole person is another one, mm-hmm. which is really big to me as well because... I find that conventional medicine often operates on a systems approach. And, you know, you see a otolaryngologist when you want part of your body fixed or an ENT on another part, but we're not looking uh, at the whole picture. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say that those specialties aren't absolutely needed. Right. But we do also need to look at the body as a system, how it all works together. Yeah. So that was a big one that struck a chord with me. And uh, I liked that the training, the first two years of ND school are very similar to MD or DO as far mm. as basic science requirements and the rigor of that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it just kind of enticed me on multiple multiple levels. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Can you maybe explain the difference between a DO, an MD, and an ND? I mean, right now you kind of just touched on the mm-hmm. ND, so maybe talk about what does a DO do specifically in an MD? Yeah. So traditionally, uh, medical doctors, MD, doctor of osteopathic medicine is a DO. Mm -hmm. To my knowledge, there used to be a lot more differences in the way that MDs and DOs practiced. Um, DOs did tend to be a little bit more holistic. They Mm -hmm. were trained in manual therapies, so osteopathic manipulation, whereas MDs have been the standard of conventional medicine for as long as it has existed. Um, you know, again, to my knowledge, it is limited. Yeah. They are trained very similarly now where there's not so many differences. Although, um, if you do find a practitioner who identifies as being functional medicine, they typically tend to be a DO. Okay. Um, whereas NDs are trained, you know, first two years the same, but then the last two years are botanical medicine, homeopathy, pharmacy, pharmacology, nutrition, kind of a little bit more well-rounded in that area. Okay. Um, MDs and DOs are really good at what they do, but Mm. they have their limitations just like I have my limitations. Right. So that actually makes me, brings me to the question of, do patients that come to an ND also have an MD or DO? Is that common? Yeah, that's a good question. So in a state like Michigan, um, I cannot be a primary care doctor. Okay. Whereas in a lot of other states, especially on East and West Coast, I can be full primary care. So okay. in a place like that, you know, they might only see an ND or vice versa. Okay. Um, traditionally in Michigan, I ask that my patients 
still have a primary care provider, mm. such as an MD or DO. Okay. Um, but it kind of varies based on the state. Interesting. And I imagine that's just like kind of politically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so are DOs able to um, like prescribe and all of that still, even though they're like a functional approach? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're, they're allowed to do pretty much everything that an MD is able to do. They're trained very similar in those ways. But okay. I just have found in my experience that if a doctor is trending towards more functional medicine or holistic medicine, they tend to be DOs. Yeah. I think that kind of mindset tends to go to DO school. Gotcha. And then more, you know, very traditional allopathic medicine tends yeah. to go down MD. Okay. Um, so tell me a little bit more about, like, what what does a day in – what does a day in the life of an ND look like? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good question. For, I mean, do you want me specifically or just a regular, like a normal ND? Yeah, I guess maybe give some examples of like, you know, what are people coming to you for? And like most commonly. Mm-hmm. So I typically center my practice around women's health. I'm not exclusive. You know, I will see anyone that's ready to start their healing journey with me and depending on their concern. But uh, most commonly I'm working with women, typically younger, 20s, 30s, who are having either painful periods or uh, hormonal acne or troubles with their weight. Um, You know, lots of issues along that line. Yeah. So I tend to attract a little bit more of a younger patient, which I love because it's yeah. really fun. Yeah. Um, and you've probably walked maybe similar journeys in some ways to what they're coming to you with. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big reason of why I really enjoy treating that kind of patient is because, mm-hmm. I mean, selfishly, I see a lot of myself in those kind of patients. And yeah. I find that, you know, being able to share that experience with them really makes them open up a little bit more and mm-hmm. just feel more comfortable sharing what's going on with gotcha. their life. Yeah. Um, I often do have patients who have very complicated conditions, who have seen multiple providers um, or who haven't been listened to. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's that's a recurring theme. Yeah. And I would say that's pretty common across most naturopathic doctors or even anyone in alternative medicine. Yeah. Is, you know, you're all, you are tending to attract the people who either haven't been helped or um, are just, you know, looking to add somebody else to their, their care team there. Right. Like another system of support in their circle, basically, mm-hmm. so that they can feel heard and seen and all of those things that are really uh, deeply important. <laughs> yeah. And something that's important to me is collaboration. I mean, I don't think that I can do everything for a patient and neither should any of the other providers, mm-hmm. yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. So I have no problem with patients seeing other doctors and, you know, I, I want them to keep me updated on what they're doing there. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think the more brain power, the better, Yeah. <laughs> especially when it comes to a complicated case, but totally, we can't see everything from our one perspective, usually bringing other professionals into the picture helps Mm -hmm. you see things a little bit differently yeah absolutely that's awesome so who were your influences to get into your your practice you did talk about you had a mentor Mm -hmm. at Saginaw Valley right Mm -hmm. okay was there yeah anyone else besides that hmm that's I mean that's a good question I would say influences going into naturopathic medicine was not much aside no. from that mentor in college. Mm. Um, 
other than that, nobody in my family knows what it is. People in my family still to this day have no idea what I do. <laughs> I'm sure that's common. Yeah, it is. It is very common. So I have just gotten good at explaining what I do. So Yeah, that actually makes me think, like, have there been any books outside of your curriculum that you've studied that you found really helpful that you would just, like, recommend to other people? Maybe not even if they want to get into the field, but just to, like, I don't know help them improve their own healthcare, like empower them on their own? Mm. I would say the clinician's handbook of natural medicine is a mm. really great reference to have on hand. As far as, you know, my perspective goes, it yeah. kind of breaks things down by condition and really tells you um, what you would expect from a conventional standard versus what are some alternative therapies that you could try or, you know, research into. So that one has been really interesting. Yeah. That's... But yeah, I mean, the resources out there are somewhat limited and in a smaller circle because, you know, NDs tend to stick together. We tend to support mm-hmm. each other. So yeah, I try to always you know, keep up on books that my fellow colleagues are writing, but it gotcha. is definitely less mainstream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't even think I knew what a naturopath was until, I don't know, probably within the last five years, I would say. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is, you're right. I think traditionally people either go see a medical doctor or a DO which is fine, but I think it's great that you do have that integrated approach as part of um, your patient process so that they can make sure they're getting their case looked at from all different scenarios. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people tend to be very surprised after the first visit or, um, you know, during the first visit because it's two hours long for a first patient visit with myself or any other ND in our office, which... Mm-hmm people just start to get a little squirrely at the end of two hours. They're like, yeah. you just spent two hours with me. Like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, we have a lot to talk about. You yeah. Know? Um, it matters to me what food you're eating, how much water you're drinking, you know, if you're sleeping, how stressed you are, mm. um, history of trauma, like all those things really matter to me. And you can't dive into that in a 15 minute appointment. Yeah. So that is, you know, I find my favorite part about what I do is, that first patient visit because I really get to connect with them on mm-hmm. a level that they probably haven't connected with a provider before. And I would say 90% of them end up crying <laughs> for some I'm reason sure. or another um, just because they're either, you know, happy or we're bringing up stuff that nobody asked them about or it's just a really good feeling. And they me. might not have even questioned themselves to that depth before either. Mm-hmm. So you're just like uncovering, uncovering and yeah. opening <laughs> and they're like, whoa, I did not expect this. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> so, yo, is what else would you dive into? I mean, did, is that pretty much everything you would talk about in that first like consultation with them? So we do go through, you know, their past medical history. We go through the current history of whatever concern they're bringing to me. So how long it's been happening, you know, if they've seen other providers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, we really do dive into all of the called the foundations of health and naturopathic medicine or the determinants of health. Mm-hmm. So everything that you eat, think, sleep, breathe, drink, and do essentially, yeah. um, we dive through those quite heavily. And then I kind of just let the conversation go where the patient needs it. Mm. Typically, that sounds really woo-woo, but typically, you know, they'll they'll bring up stuff that they haven't talked to anybody about. And mm. They're like, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but... Okay. Like, okay, that's important. Like, yeah, I mean, if it's weighing on them, it's like, that's probably affecting their health in some way. Mm-hmm. It's just like, 
sometimes deep things that you don't know how they manifest externally. So Yeah. And I mean, we will decide at that point if we need to do any lab testing. Like I really enjoy doing very functional, like comprehensive lab testing on people just to get more information. Um, And then I will send them home with a treatment plan that could include anything from just diet recommendations to supplements to IV therapy or pharmaceuticals. It kind of really depends on the patient. Okay. What kind of labs do you do with people? Um, It depends, but typically with like my, you know, typical demographic, that younger female We'll look at a hormone panel, uh, thyroids, yeah. thyroid labs. I don't know why I said thyroids. <laughs> we'll look at their thyroids. <laughs> Just hold still. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes we might look at either food sensitivities or uh, some sort of gut testing if that's necessary. Or just basic stuff. You know, some people haven't had labs done in years, so I'll really mm-hmm. just kind of base it on the person. And, uh kind of bring it to their own awareness of like anything that you see that's off that they might want to you know, make dietary changes to or mm-hmm. investigate further. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. There's a, I mean, labs are just a great way to collect more information on a patient. Yeah. I always, you know, tell patients you are not your labs. So the symptoms mm-hmm. and everything they bring to me on that first visit and beyond is really important, but yeah. labs are just another data point. Yeah. And you know, they give me some great information to work from. Exactly. Yeah, it's just that. It's just information. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> um, so actually, when you were talking about periods, I wanted, it made me think of uh, one of the listener questions that came in. So I put out a poll on Instagram asking if anyone had questions for this podcast episode. Someone said, um, how, do you, how would you respond to a woman who just like casually tells you that they're on their period? <laughs> I did clarify. I was like, was is this in like, uh, you know, like they're telling a health practitioner or just like in every day, like, you know, you're just having conversation and someone's like, oh, I'm on my period. Like, so what? what is your um, best advice for handling that situation? I guess it depends on the interpretation of that question. I'm, <laughs> I don't really know if I'm gathering what I'm you know, what they're looking for there. But if somebody is like, hey, I'm on my period, I'm like, hell yeah, girl, I just had mine last week. Like, yeah, job. <laughs> yeah. So this was a, a male asking the question. I don't know if that changes how ah, okay. he would respond. Okay. <laughs> hell yeah. <laughs> you do that menstrual cycle thing. <laughs> so I guess if it's a male talking to a female, I'm assuming um, – you know, maybe it's because the female is experiencing like moodiness or just not feeling like herself. So, mm-hmm. like she is the other three weeks out of the month. So yeah. sometimes, um, you know, if a female is acting like off, their partner will be like, "What's wrong with you?" She's like, "I'm on my period." Like uh, <laughs> I'm assuming it's kind of that context. Maybe. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I don't have a ton of context, so let's go with that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would just say. If you are in that kind of situation, just do your best to support her because mm. periods are not the most fun week of the month. Mm-hmm. So anything that you can do to really make her feel, you know, just taken care of and, you know, if she just needs to sleep and not talk to you, then let it be. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good uh, approach to it, like just supporting the person. And like, I don't know, if you're at the gym, let's say, and someone happens to say, I'm on my period, a, a female to a male. Mm. I don't think they're like, you don't have to be weird about it and be like, oh God, what do I do? Like, 
It's mm. just, it's a natural part of life. It's part of yeah. nature. Like There's such a stigma around it, which I think is bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Excuse my language. No, it's fine. Um, I mean, it's a natural thing that happens to women every single month, like, if you're not on birth control. But, yeah. Um, we're just treating it like it's this taboo topic. Like, get over it. <laughs> yeah. And even, like, you know, there's so much evolution that has happened and probably last five years around birth control itself and Mm. how it, you know, it used to be this thing that women more or less just did, but I think women are learning how to naturally uh, be preventative without having to rely on pills and all these things that uh, disrupt the the normal cycle that Mm -hmm. women should go through. Yeah, I could go on a whole nother rant about birth control. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we'll save that. Um, But no, I think that's probably the best advice is just support the person. Don't, um, you don't have to be all nervous about it and just recognize that it's natural. Yeah. (laughs) Ask her what she needs. (laughs) Yeah. Do you need um, food or sleep? She might not know, but at least you asked. Yeah. Exactly. Show that you care. Mm-hmm. Um, another listener question that came in was, uh, how would you recommend someone to handle their work life or their training? So, um, you know, exercise when they are on their menstrual cycle. Ooh, that's a great question. And there's actually a lot of um, theories out there that we should be doing particular types of exercises or Uh, work projects during different times of our cycle Mm. based on what hormones are present then. But um, typically during your period, I mean, you are shedding your uterine lining. So there's a lot going on. You know, you are putting forth a lot of effort there. So typically I would have women just listen to their bodies. Mm. If you're feeling more tired, then absolutely don't go crush it at the gym if you don't have to. Yeah. Uh, I still would recommend movement because that's really important for keeping cramping down and just you know, mm. mood boosting, but you don't have to go crush a PR on your period if you don't want to. Yeah. You absolutely still can. Like, there's nothing delicate about you while you're on your period. Yes. Like, you're badass. <laughs> <laughs> but there shouldn't be any shame in just needing to take a rest day or, you know, put off a project at work saying, like, hey, can I finish this next week? Like, I'm not feeling my best. Mm. Like, you know, there's, again, Honor there's a lot of, it. yeah. There's a lot of stigma and a lot of shame around a woman being on her period, but there's also a lot of physiological changes like mm-hmm. happening in your body that would warrant you needing a little extra rest. Like, yeah. So take it if you need it, but yeah. if you don't, then go for it. <laughs> yeah. That's and honestly like listen to your body is such like a a great suggestion for so many different situations. Just slap that on a billboard. Yeah. <laughs> tattoo it on your forearm (laughs) listen to your body exactly sometimes we can even forget ourselves but uh you know i actually i did look this up because i was like what's the latest research on this as far as from the training outlook too um and yeah it's just not really there's no conclusive research at this point in time of like what is the best way to train based on the menstrual cycle and like you said there's there's been a meta-analysis of um, different studies, but the studies were either poor or they just didn't have, like, a strong enough outcome to say, okay, during the follicular, follicular phase, you should do this, and then during the luteal phase, you'll need to do this. 
So they said the same thing. It's person by person basis and just do what feels right for your body. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say like if you are going to do intense training, the follicular phase would be the time when you have typically the most energy, you have the most testosterone circulating, the most estrogen circulating right around that time. So you might feel more capable and energized during that time and um, that's where I would say the most intense training could go. But again, that varies by person to person. Basis, yeah. So. Like everyone's hormones are all doing different things and different concentrations. And mm-hmm. what about anecdotally? Have you experienced, um, do you like change your training around or if you want to share? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I've necessarily changed my training like strictly, Mm. But I do, at least now, make it a priority to really listen to Um, what my body wants. Um, Typically towards the end of my cycle, like leading into when I'm about to get a period, like I'm more internal, like introspective, want to do just more like yoga or going for a walk or um, something a little bit slower. And then in my follicular phase, I'm like bouncing off the walls. Like I want (laughs) to go hit deadlift PRs. Like I'm crazy. Um, So, and then during my period, like the first couple of days, a little bit chill, mm. but once like day two is gone, I can do basically anything I want. And so you feel okay again. That's my anecdotal evidence on yeah. myself. Yeah. Um. You have. There's a lot of other things at play. I mean, we have yes, our menstrual cycle that changes, but we also have to think about our adrenal glands and our cortisol levels. So mm. our yeah. stress hormone. Um. Exercise is a stressor. Yeah. Physiologically. So if you are chronically stressed and chronically fatigued we may have to dial back exercise. Yeah. That's not what anybody wants to hear, but it's sometimes the best yeah. <laughs> to just tone it down. Yeah, that's totally true. And I think uh, I personally I've worked with, or I, I, I will say I don't think any of my experience coaching, I've ever had athletes who have told me anyway that they've like had to adjust their training based on their menstrual cycle. But I do know women who actually, like, their whole, all of their training is based on their menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. They base it on that. Um, Anecdotally, for myself, I've never noticed a difference in my performance based on menstrual cycle. So Mm -hmm. I think just as you said, it varies person to person. Listen to your body. It could change over time, too, for individuals. So Yeah, I mean, some women may never notice a difference throughout the month, and others are very sensitive to those shifts mm. throughout the month so yeah again not to beat a dead horse but listen to your body yeah <laughs> totally um so obviously you it's very important to you that patients take care of their self holistically stay balanced in mind body and um obviously if that's what you preach i'm curious to hear how do you practice it yourself Oh boy. <laughs> Exposing my flaws. <laughs> no, I mean, always a work in progress. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm striving for progress, not perfection. Yes. I have gone through many seasons of my life that I intended to be perfect and mm. never slip up on what I was eating and work out every single day. And um that just kind of led to me having a very difficult relationship with my body and food. Mm. So at the point that I'm at right now. I just try to move my body as frequently throughout the week as I feel fit. Yep. Um, I do strength training. I walk. I bike. And then I eat fairly healthy, but I have a sweet tooth. I always have. So if I want something, 
typically I'll check in with myself and this is something I have my patients do often. Uh, it's like, do I actually want this or is this serving another purpose? Like, am I feeling anxious? Am I tired? Am I hangry? Like, is my blood sugar dropping and do I need mm, real food? But yeah. I want a brownie instead. Because it's like quick and right Yeah. Here. Yeah. That's, that's a big one for me is like when I get I know, stressed or busy, sometimes I'll go long periods of time without eating and then I won't want to eat anything that comes in front of me. Gotcha. So a big part of fixing that for me has just been eating more consistently. And mm-hmm. I know that sounds silly, but I'm um, just reminding myself to eat. Yeah. Getting at least eight hours of sleep every single night. That has been a game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, drinking my water. <laughs> drinking lots of coffee too. But um, And then just working really hard on my mental health. The last year, that's been really crucial to me. And mm. I wouldn't necessarily say I have you know anxiety or any other mental health conditions to be aware of, but I really just wanted to optimize my day-to-day routines and so mm. I hired a life coach okay um, nice. that has been a huge change for me shout out love him <laughs> <laughs> Aww, uh, that's awesome yeah I mean, <laughs> it's just really put into perspective like hey you're doing great at a lot of things but like here's ways that you can optimize yeah it's um, nice to have that soundboard too for them to see what your days look like and pick out those wins for you because sometimes it's easy to just focus on how can I be better how can Mm -hmm. I be better and it's like wait but you did all of this stuff that was amazing and you just like are choosing not to see it yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I I mean I would say staying consistent with eating making sure I'm sleeping and then moving and then just really cultivating the relationships in my life Mm -hmm. that is a huge foundation of health for me is having solid relationships so um, you know, my relationship to my sister, my family, mm. my boyfriend, my friends. Like, yeah. And I was just listening to a podcast about how loneliness is essentially the epidemic within the pandemic of COVID. Oh, I bet. And, you know, really just reaching out and cultivating those relationships and not being afraid to be, you know, the first person to text somebody or, yeah, hey, want to go on a Zoom date or like whatever you have to do to stay connected to people. Yeah. That's a, a huge determinant of health. Because honestly, like if you're feeling lonely, you might be, you might have to be the one that's like the stronger person to reach out to someone and find that connection. And they might be needing it too. And just like two in their head to realize that they, and and therefore not taking action. So staying in that like victim struggle mode. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, when you reach out to somebody, it makes them feel special and it makes Mm -hmm. you feel good. Like, yeah. um, One of my professors in med school, her name was Dr. Lou. She was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> she would always say, when you give a hug, you get one. Yes. And that's like the cutest thing ever. But it goes <laughs> for texting somebody or Venmoing somebody five bucks to get a coffee. Mm. Like, you know, it's just little things that you can do to keep up yeah. those relationships that are crucial. Yeah. I think it goes to show the importance of giving. It's like sometimes we can have this like scarcity mindset about our time and be like, I don't want to give my time because I have all of these things on my to-do list I need to do. But Mm -hmm. giving someone your time is like the greatest gift you can give and just showing them that you care and, you know, all of those endorphins that you get from that is good for your health. And (laughs) Yeah. The the funny thing about stepping out of like a scarcity mindset into one of more abundance, Mm -hmm. for lack of better terms, is like you find that you actually do have enough time in the day. You were Mm -hmm. just convincing yourself that you didn't. Yeah. And the time that you spent convincing yourself that you didn't have enough time was enough time to send a text to somebody and say, hey, thinking of you. Yeah. 
And that, you know, the scarcity versus abundance mindset can apply to anything. Yeah. Like, you know, literally anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even bringing it back to food, like, I think that's so much, um, so many women struggle with that scarcity mindset of, like, I need to be smaller and thinner. I need to eat less food. I need to do more cardio. And it's like, no, like, make yourself as full as you can. Give to yourself. Eat the foods that, you know, nourish you and fill you up and make you feel good. And train in ways that, like, empower you and make you feel strong. And, like, don't make yourself small. Like, I, I feel like that's kind of what you're alluding to. Like, um nourishing or nurturing those relationships that you had with people in your life really helped you over the last year and then nurturing your body and your mind and all of these things help you really bring forth your fullest self for everyone around you just to be more present in their lives yeah I I love that (laughs) (laughs) I am never about making anybody small like I spend a three quarters of my life trying to make myself smaller but Mm. fuck that like I got a lot of things to say I got a lot of love to share and so does everybody else like you know there's no reason why you need to make yourself smaller physically or you know mentally emotionally like as humans we have an intense capacity to give and to love and Mm -hmm. um, I just think people don't recognize that in themselves yeah but if we saw ourselves the way that you know our friends or our family sees us then we might think a little bit differently yeah yeah, that's awesome. Um, any, like, other books you would recommend? Maybe not even on, like, naturopath or – how do you say it? Is it naturopathy? <laughs> I was, like, sitting here all day thinking about this. Like, I, I should have Googled it or YouTubed it. Honestly, tomato, tomato. I say um, naturopathy or naturopathy. Okay. Some people say naturopathy. <laughs> but, but there's an important distinction, unfortunately, being in a state like Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, I call myself a naturopathic doctor because that's what I am. I went to school for four years. I got a license, you know, took boards. Yep. But there are people in this state who call themselves naturopathic doctors or naturopaths who did not do that same schooling. Mm. And since there's less regulations in this state, they can get away with doing that. Just pra- self-practice with mm-hmm. no degree or doing you know online courses or a weekend seminar and there's nothing wrong with you know that kind of schooling and I'm absolutely certain those people can help people but there is a distinction in the term there so people know what they're getting and I think that's really important I think it's important for the consumer or you know the patient to do their research on the person Mm -hmm. probably have a relationship with them know what they're getting into you know, if they want that type of naturopath that hasn't gone through everything, then the product that's delivered will probably just look different and yeah. not say it's right or wrong. Yeah, it, it looks different and they can absolutely still help and still be a part of the healing process. But, mm. you know, I just like you said, I think the consumer does deserve to know. Yes, yeah, totally. So that's why label myself as an ND Mm. and I'm very forthcoming with where I went to school. There's only seven schools in the entire United States Mm. that are all of North America. I think that, you know, train licensed naturopathic doctors. So gotcha. You can always find a state association or the federal association that will tell you where people went to school and you know, if they're legit or not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I see. But back to the books. I mean, books have been huge for me this year. I've gotten so much reading done and I love it. That's awesome. Um, As far as resources for women or like the ideal clients I work with, 
a book called Beyond the Pill by Dr. Jolene mm-hmm. Brighton was really helpful. Um, she's a fellow naturopathic doctor. She's incredible. Okay. Kind of exposes a lot of the faults, I would say, of birth control, but mm. also still recognizing the very valid, you know, point of birth control yes. is to prevent pregnancy. <laughs> it does a really good job of that. It is. <laughs> um, but, you know, you're 14 years old and they're like, here, go on this. You're like, mm. okay, sure. Yes. It's the what you consent to without knowing mm-hmm. what's happening to your body when you do that. Yeah. And her book has been you know, kind of a game changer as far as how I approached the topic with patients and mm-hmm. got me really fired up about all of that stuff. That's so awesome. Really like that one. Um, Own Yourself by Kelly Brogan. She's a psychologist, I believe. Psychiatrist. I can't remember. Okay. Um, that one was really good for anybody struggling with anxiety or depression. Mm-hmm. And let's see. Read lots this year. I was gonna say, did topics. you <laughs> did you read the Body Keeps the Score? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what mm-hmm. I thought. That's a really good one for trauma. That one was intense. I gotta say, um, dense as far as content. Like, mm. you know, very medically written, but very yeah. well written. Yeah. But yeah, that that one really, I guess, solidified a lot of the things that I've thought for a long time that emotions mm. can be stored in the body yeah. and manifest as physical disease. Issues in the tissues. Yeah, and they kind of put a mechanism behind it and then translate it across neuroscience and how it impacts, you know, people with PTSD. And Mm -hmm. it's a very good read. So, yeah, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, I believe. Yep, Can't pronounce that name. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I'll do my best. Whenever (laughs) I've told people about it, I'm like, Bessel, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Just Google The Body Keeps the Score. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, that one was really good. And actually, just going through yoga teacher training, it resonated so deeply because specifically I had a uh, trauma-informed, like, uh, approach to yoga teacher training. And so it was like reading that kind of felt the same thing. I was like, oh, my gosh, this makes so much sense. Like, Mm -hmm. everything you've learned, you're seeing it right there. So Yeah, that was a very good read. (laughs) What about um, with your... I know you've done a lot of work around, like, how you eat and, like, your perspective of food and your body image. Have you – is that more just, like, through your own experience you've learned or is there books or mentors or – I can't think of a particular book that I have read on the topic. Um, I started to finally change that relationship when I went through a – seminar that was, you know, intended for me as a practitioner, but we actually had to practice on each other. It was Mm. for holistic counseling, which is a form of counseling that's kind of like an open dialogue and lets the patient really describe things that are happening to them and the practitioner just kind of, you know, guiding them in their direction. Yeah. And I got to be a test patient and I was like, wow, (laughs) I got a lot of shit to work through. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, oh, my eyes are open. Uh Here we go. (laughs) So I read the book that went along with that course. It's called Holistic Counseling. It's not going to be the book for everybody, but it is a really interesting book and a really good read in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, But just from there, I've been kind of slowly surrounding myself and including on Instagram and social media Mm -hmm. with people who are more positive, Mm -hmm. more loving towards themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a podcast called Fill Your Cup Podcast that's Mm -hmm. been really helpful. Rachel Melinda. Okay. Someone who writes, who does that, and she has a really great Instagram. Like honestly, she's been huge nice. as far as influencing that. Um, and I think just a lot of my own 
inner work and self-realization yeah. that I was just kind of sabotaging myself for a very long time and I was sick of it. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of it is like that experiential wisdom that you're just like, okay, this this mindset wasn't working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need to do something different and yeah. kind of get to a breaking point, I was going to say. Yeah. It's it's not going to change overnight either. Like I'm still yes. very much a work in progress and will likely continue to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, just strive for progress, yes. not perfection. Again. Keep chipping away and catch yourself in loops and all of those things. Um, so, and you also practice yoga and like meditation and those things too, correct? Mm-hmm. So I imagine you also like guide patients to incorporate those into their lives as well. Yes, I try my best. Um, I often get pushback when I tell people to meditate. But mm, I'm sure. I just had this conversation yesterday with somebody. I mean, Meditation has this huge, like, shroud of mystery around it. Like, Mm. you have to be on the top of a mountain with no thoughts (laughs) in your head, like, perfectly still, which is not true. Like... I love that. It's absolutely not true. (laughs) I was listening to a podcast yesterday with um, Tim Ferriss and Dan Harris about 10% Happier, the book, Mm -hmm. and... They were like, you know, you are not going to have no thoughts in your mind unless you are clinically dead. <laughs> like, yeah. You are always going to have thoughts. <laughs> yep. So meditating is really just about, you know, letting that thought come in and then just not attaching yourself to it. Just letting it go. Yep. And I always thought I was really bad at meditating. And that's what all my patients tell me. They're like, oh, I'm really bad at it. Yeah. You're probably not. Yeah. Like, you're probably fine. You're doing it just right. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, I, you know, I'm, I follow up with people. I will message okay. them and be like on their patient portal or I'm like did you meditate you know three yeah. times this week they'd be like no I'm like okay well do you it know, let's do it next week yeah <laughs> um, yeah it makes a difference yeah it's the kind of thing like same with exercise I mean meditation is like exercise for your brain totally consistency is really where you see the most benefits yeah it's so funny you said that I was in a conversation with a friend and he was more high strung in his energy and so I was like have you ever tried meditating? And he was kind of the same reaction. Like, I I just, I feel like I need to, like, go to, like, Costa Rica and be on a beach for a week <laughs> and have, like, no one there. And then I'll meditate. And I was like, yeah, that's why you should, like, start now. Like, yep. <laughs> don't wait for perfect conditions. Just start. It's going to be bumpy and it's going to be worth it. So, mm. yeah, it's such a important part of healing. I totally agree. Um, is there anything else you want to touch on for that's important to you in your practice or, you know, anything that, anything? (laughs) Oh boy, that's an open-ended topic. (laughs) (laughs) I guess like, um, you, I mean, you talked about like, what are common things that come up during a practice, during the the session? Mm -hmm. Um, what are common things that you see with your patients? I don't know if you want to give like, um, like maybe some advice of like you know common tips you're often giving clients that maybe listeners would find value in. Yeah. So if I had a dollar for every time, typically a woman sitting in front of me is like, I just don't feel like myself, or mm-hmm. I just feel off, or something along those veins. Like I literally would not have to be in practice because <laughs> so many people say that. And I'm like, okay, that's, there's something there. Like, there's a reason why you're not feeling like yourself. And unfortunately, those are typically very young, healthy looking 
people who get dismissed by other providers when there's you know nothing wrong with them. Mm. Um, so, you know, I have a lot of people saying stuff like that. I'm like, okay, there is something to dig into here, whether it's hormones or, you know, what you're eating or whatever, there's mm. something there. And I think it's just really important that those people feel heard. And something I find myself saying all the time <laughs> is, you know, your body has the capacity to heal itself when mm. given the right conditions. Yeah. That's, you know, what we've evolved to do. We've evolved to live in a state of health and homeostasis. So mm-hmm. keeping things relatively stable. You know? Balance. And balanced. <laughs> yeah, balance is a great, great <laughs> Um, So, you know, you just have to give your body those tools. And mm-hmm. you might need help from a practitioner to help give you those tools and to help guide you. But don't ever lose hope in the fact that your body can still heal. Mm. I think that's huge because one of the big principles of naturopathic medicine is you know, the healing power of nature or the body's mm-hmm. innate healing ability. Mm-hmm. That's kind of common across a lot of alternative therapies is mm-hmm. the innate wisdom of the body. And despite how disconnected or how long you've been you know, kind of straying away from that path, you can always come back. You can always get healthier and have more energy and yeah. you know, have better periods or whatever it is that you want. Yeah. And, I just, I find people get very frustrated because they're not being heard or mm. taken seriously and then they kind of give up mm. and I kind of want to reinstill that hope in them, which is hard once yeah. you've lost hope or faith, but it's still there. <laughs> yeah. It's just about like helping them understand what is their vision and helping them to like feel it in their body, like really become embodied with it and see it for themselves basically. Yeah. Um, there is one, uh, I think, uh, something I've heard in the past, um, men have typically been the ones in healthcare more dominantly in the past. And so, especially for what your demographic is, women talking about periods and PMS and all of that, men can't fully ever understand that. They have never felt it in their body. So I'm sure coming to a woman and being able to talk about that stuff is probably so popular because it's like a man might be like, oh, you're just making it up or like you're not really in pain or dismissing it, like mm-hmm. what, what you were saying. So Yeah, and I mean, I just, I love talking about it. Like literally, we'll talk about periods, poop, sex, masturbation, you name it. Like we'll talk about everything all in one session. Yeah. And they're like, wow, I don't... I don't talk about this stuff with anybody. I'm like, it's fun, right? Let's (laughs) talk about it. You you can open up and, you know, really dig in. I mean, it's our own bodies. We shouldn't be ashamed of talking about them. But unfortunately, we were kind of told we have to be. Yeah. I like to be kind of a resource there. And if I'm willing to talk about it and risk some embarrassment, like, they'll usually follow along. Be vulnerable. (laughs) Be human. And just... uh, be fully, fully embrace yourself, really. Mm, so. Yeah. Cool. Oh, <laughs> uh, where can people find you, either online, in person, if they want to learn more from you? Yeah, so I am on Instagram as docgenb underscore nd. That's kind of where I hang out most. Okay. So if you are listening and you have a question or just want to say hi, you can absolutely send me a DM. Um, or I'm at Michigan Center for Holistic Medicine. So you could go to our website, miholisticmed.com, and find more info about me or, um, you know, what I practice. Obviously, I'd love to connect on Instagram if you have 
concerns about starting care or anything of that nature. I let people kind of go on a first date by doing a 15-minute <laughs> call if that's something that's interesting to them. So that's absolutely an option. Awesome. And I'll be sure to link all the resources like books and whatnot that we talked about today and your websites and Insta and all of that. So cool. Thanks so much for being on today. It was great chatting with you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning in to the Pursuit of Authenticity podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, We would be so appreciative if you show your support by leaving a review or sharing it out with friends and family who may also benefit from the episode as well. Our goal with this podcast is to share knowledge to create a physically, mentally, and emotionally stronger version of you. So if that resonates with you, be sure to subscribe so you can be notified of future episodes. See you next time.